Welcome to a dialogue on accountability in the digital age. A dialogue with representatives of a global multi-stakeholder community. I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with Professor Ali Hassami. Ali, welcome to the program. Thank you, Fritz. You are a professor and a visiting professor at the London City University Centre for Systems and Control and also at Beijing Yautong University for Electronics Information. That's but right. we are going to speak to you as the process architect of the IEEE Ethics Certification Programme for Autonomous and Intelligent Systems uh, from the IEEE Standards Association. Now, this is not the first time you have taken on such a great endeavour, so we'll, we will also talk uh, about one of the books you've written on this topic. So. Again, uh, Ali, uh, thank you for joining us. And I'd like to begin with the standard, the IEEE P7000 standard, which focuses on addressing ethical concerns in system design. Yes. Why was that design needed? Um, the matters of autonomy and algorithmic learning provided a societal challenge that humanity has not faced uh, until now in the sense that decisions made by non-human agents that can't be easily challenged or re redressed uh, have posed the necessity for looking into basically making machines in charge of running human affairs. Now, that led to, okay, these are largely ethical concerns, but who has got guidelines on how engineers handle this? Because engineers are scientists, they deal with scientific and physical properties and phenomena, and there was the dearth of, um, insufficient guidance in terms of how you identify what an ethical uh, concern and how does that impact on the design, uh, if at all. Uh, so in the absence of those, uh, IEEE uh, initiated a global program uh, for ethics of autonomous intelligence systems, which is their way of referring to AI back in 2015. And in 2016, they, um, a standard called IEEE 7000 was initiated. Um, and the purpose of that standard, as you rightly highlighted, was to offer uh, a way of addressing ethical concerns to engineers and scientists who were involved in art articulating, designing, and developing uh, or, autonomous intelligent systems uh, for handling anything from education to health to financial services. Okay, now the way you framed it, it uh, you could assume that each individual engineer should know about the standard. Uh, is that your audience or is it more the quality insurance, quality control type of departments? No, no, it's pretty much, frankly, uh, the designers and developers of um, embedded AI solutions, uh, largely a, a technocentric approach. Of course, the standard recommends consultation with key stakeholders, et cetera, but the know-how exchanged in the standard and exposed in the standard 
is all about engineers knowing uh, what is ethics and why have I not been told in my university training how to handle a requirement that a given stakeholder holds, but yeah, and it's not in my requirements list. Okay, so this also would give an engineer a guideline to uh, their client to uh, refuse or adapt a request. Well, uh, things are a bit more complex than that, that traditionally system engineering is founded on so-called requirements engineering, and that's a large discipline in its own right in terms of how you elicit the requirements, how you verify them, how you incorporate them in the design. And it's not as simple as having a few hundred requirements and designing them all in, there's often an enormous degree of horse trading and balancing between quality requirements, safety requirement, performance requirement, commercial requirement. All this standard is striving to do is to throw in one other category that has been eluding us, if you like, so far until okay. the challenges of AI came about and said, here is a set of new requirements relating to human rights and values that you engineers might not have handled before. Yeah. Now, being an engineer myself, I recognize the, the horse trading, uh, as you just mentioned. Um, now, IEEE is a global organization, so I also would assume uh, global application of the standard. How many horse trading was involved in formulating the ethical standards as they are right now? Um, there were a number of, as I mentioned, there was a global initiative and it had few strands, one of them developing AI ethics standards. And currently they stand around 14 of those. About half of those have already been completed because they have started uh, five, six years ago and the rest are work in progress in yeah. final stages. Um, in terms of actual 7000, which is the core uh, standard, and it's a universal, global, and generic standard for addressing ethics in any system design, including autonomous intelligence systems, that uh, easily took five years. Uh, there was a significant amount of argument, debate, disagreement even, uh, uh, when I joined, I joined as a member of the working group and realized that this is not an easy going place because of the clash of values, clash of perspectives. And frankly, if you look at the world today, uh, globally and even politically, that clash is still there. We have not come to accommodate every view uh, to the satisfaction of the holders of those views. And they were not very different in this standard. And it was, I was trying, oh, initially I was a member due to circumstances, I became the technical editor and almost uh, within months, I took over as the chair and running and directing the standard. And of course, the main input of the standard came from uh, Professor Spiekerman uh, from University of Economics um, in, and Business in Vienna. 
Uh, nevertheless, the working group members, a uh, very large number for a standard because it had attracted a wide group of very diverse people, with people from engineering, people from legal dimension, people from ethical background, people from general interest background. And each one of these groups, given that this is ethics and it's about humanity, had their own perceived or real uh, view of what ethics is and how it should go into technology. So there was a significant amount of argumentation. And eventually, after five years, uh, we all agreed that we were not going to get any further uh, and better come to some consensus perspective that majority accepted. But the work, if you like, wasn't finished, but we decided that um, this is an ongoing dialogue. Okay. And for practical reasons, we better get something published. Okay, so uh, in that sense, it's a pragmatic document in the sense that you have made some choices. Uh, mm -hmm. Does this also mean it's supported by a coalition of the willing? Indeed. Uh, ultimately, the way IEEE develops the standards, first of all, it's an open process. So it's not unlike Senelec in Europe, where you have representatives nominated from national committees, etc. IEEE's process is entirely open door policy. Uh, bakers and butchers and uh, whoever is interested can uh, walk in and join a, a working group. Yeah. So that's that was yeah. one complication. Yeah. Okay, and does this also mean that uh, individual regions, countries can adopt this fra global framework to their own needs? Indeed. Uh, when I joined, I realized it was largely biased towards uh, Western values, if you like, uh, yep. towards uh, uh, Aristotle and John Stuart Mill and Immanuel Kant's views of what ethics is in terms of virtues and in terms of duties and in terms of benefits and disbenefits. So I requested uh, people who had been involved in drafting to include uh, a, a force leg to allow the rest of the humanity to have values other than what was promoted by these three uh, canons of Western philosophy, basically. So now we currently have basically four ways of looking ethically at any product or service, being it virtual or physical. And through those uh, pairs of glasses, we identify values which are either being fostered by a technology or being threatened by a technology. And as a result, we uh, generate requirements that go for protection of any values and rights that are undermined. Okay, and, and what is that fourth uh, viewpoint, by the way? Well, um, we didn't give it a particular label because the others all uh, attributed to the originator, okay. philosopher, thinker uh, of uh, largely Western canon. And the fourth leg is like almost like whatever other source of value a given community has or holds dear to their heart, being their history, being their culture, being okay. their belief system is as valid as what Aristotle or Immanuel Kant decided that we need to uh, take on board yeah. to honor our duties towards the human community. Oh, I got that. And 
probably you've already half answered this question because the, the standard talks about value-based engineering. Uh, so that means adopted to the local culture and ethics? Well, within reason, it's largely founded on those three schools of um, so-called utilitarianism. What are the good things? What are the bad things? What are the benefits? What are the harms? The second bit is what are the duties of those guys who are in charge making this, the corporation, the senior executives, etc. And finally, the third question is from Aristotle's point of view, in what way does this product or service the base conceived and is going to be operated going to affect the personal virtues and values of an individual in terms of integrity and honesty and that kind of thing. So the fourth dimension that I mentioned complemented the three-legged stool of thought. And in reality, I think now we are capable of absorbing, but the standard itself as it stands doesn't adapt uh, easily to, for example, the Confucian value system or Ubuntu value system in Africa or any other value system in um, Mayans and Aztecs or uh, Latin America for that matter. Okay, so um, that could mean that still... Go ahead. Sorry. No, but that could that could mean that in the future you could adopt for those standards or those percept no, those perspectives uh, if needed. Uh, it's flexible. It is flexible by adding that fourth yeah. leg. That these are three sort of instruments. If you found another way of identifying values, even if they came from your belief system, or just um, uh, I don't know naturism, if you wanted to then uh, those values are as valid yeah. to be considered in the design as what you discovered through John Stuart Mill's utilitarianism yeah. okay. uh, pair of glasses. Yeah. Okay, now would you agree in my take on what you just taken us with us that uh, it's an engineering approach to setting standards? Well, indeed, we, we have made it as close to engineering as possible. It's not in conflict with any other process, uh, including agile design of products and services, where you basically do not go through the traditional sequential life cycle base. You do this followed by that, et cetera. It can be as agile and is compliant with uh, IEEE 15288 uh, lifecycle processes and uh, process model. So in principle, yes, it's guidance how ethics get included in design, uh, basically scientific engineering design activities. Now, we'll make certain that the viewers uh, will be pointed to the right link that they can read upon those uh, standards. Now, one of the reasons you got involved, Ali, because you also written a couple of books relevant to this topic and the latest book, Factoring Ethics in Technology Policymaking, that's what um, our institute uh, is all about, accountability in a digital age, uh, because to finish that title is, um, it's, it's about the regulation of AI. And you've made a quite an interesting remark in the beginning of the book, and you said AI is a very unlevel playing field. Can you please expand? Uh, well, it's largely about uh, behavior of basically corporations in adoption of AI, 
as well as the practices that they have witnessed and Europe has woken up to and invented GDPR and AI Act for. And that is, it is an unlevel playing field insofar as there are, if you like, lesser empowered groups mm -hmm. and far uh, more um, capable and less transparent and less accountable entities in the total ecosystem. And uh, I mean, let's, let's face it, for example, from um, disabled to children to underage, et cetera, none of these groups have been protected against the onslaught of automation, onslaught of web services. And in a sense, suddenly the society is at a major deficit dealing with artifacts that look very glossy, very glitzy, very interesting, but uh, what we are trading in, in terms of being profiled, our data, our uh, dignity being undermined through the way a service provider is taking advantage of our honesty and uh, uh, reading a big list of terms and conditions and just ticking it off because we don't have the time and patience. It's a very unlevel playing field on that basis. And the society is technically waking up a bit too sluggishly and too slowly to the realization that loss of your personal information is not just about somebody having your date of birth, is uh, almost reading your mind, almost undermining your agency, almost uh, to the point that you could become vulnerable for the information that's in the hands of those and you don't know even what they hold on you and uh, what inferences they are making to sell you anything from an expensive investment to an uh, electric uh, motor vehicle, etc. So these are the dimensions that are behind that edited book. And I was keen, together with my co-author, who's a lawyer, uh, Trish Shaw, to actually bring that reality uh, in front of the, uh, if you like, decision makers and say, this is an unlevel playing field. For some reason, legislation and regulation hasn't caught up with the pace of innovation. And this is almost like a wild horse. Okay, now no controls. Yeah, but th then the question is, because that's also the core of uh, what we're talking about, accountability in a digital age. Uh, can the legislation keep up with that very fast developing digital technology? And would that mean you might want to consider alternatives for regulatory frameworks? Absolutely. Uh, I think you uh, put your finger on the soft spot here. And that is our traditional way of regulating against products and services in terms of protection of uh, safety and security and uh, welfare of the public is no longer in tune with the pace and the diversity and transformative nature of technology. And here we are at the outset, um, it's been around for quite a few years now, outset of a whole new technological innovation uh, as on par with the invention of the steam engine at the start of the uh, industrial revolution. We are having an AI engine entering our life from watching our health to watching our pocket to watching our interests, etc. And we have no fast-paced, agile, if you like, uh, mechanism for catching up with these things. Yeah. 
typically uh, just mentioned 7,000 took five years. If you take five years to write a standard how to do this and that against an emerging piece of technology, you, you can imagine by the time you have finished, that technology can uh, probably has ceased to exist in the form you wanted to control it. And the yeah. same applies to regulation. Yeah. So Our if, means if, are not suitable. Okay, so if you are aware that that's reality, uh, are you already thinking about alternatives still to mitigate that uh, that risk and, and close that gap? Absolutely. Uh, Have any ideas of possible solutions we should look into? Sure. We, we actually uh, experimented. Uh, I must admit, uh, the traditional approach is the law and the standards are written in narrative. So a bunch of gray-haired expert big, uh, people get together, mm -hmm. lawyers or uh, legal representatives, and after thrashing out the key issues, write 100 pages or whatever yep. in terms of what's allowed and what's not allowed and what are the duties of this group and that group, etc. Frankly, I think that method itself uh, gets lost in the intricacies of fighting over the meanings and words and concepts, etc. And what we experimented with um, in another program that we haven't discussed, and that was ethics certification program that uh, I have been uh, honored to run for IEEE Standard Association, we developed a model-based approach. This works amazingly fast. It captures just the essential bits that are significant in a given context. And because it's a model and it's pictorial and basically a graphical representation of a book, it leaves you an immediate impression and you can decipher because our image processing capabilities are far stronger than our word processing capabilities. Okay. So at a single view, we work out, is this adequate? Is there anything missing? Uh, and the other beauty is that if it's a model and it's a picture rather than 100 pages of writing full of bullet points and so on, you can easily re review this in matters of weeks and catch up with the next evolution of whatever it is you're trying to control. If you want to revisit a standard, typically uh, it takes two years. Is this something the world, I'll say, is ready for, that alternative way to regulate? Because we're a little bit conservative in that respect. Uh, we want law to catch up, so but that's not going to happen. So we need to look at alternatives. I think so. Uh, and we don't but, need to uh, throw the baby and bath water out and say narrative-based yeah, regulations are not good enough. We can start experimenting in parallel and say, here's a regulation. It took nine months to develop. And with the help of lawyers and legal specialists, the same concepts produced as an image, as a model of what is involved in this controlling this particular facet of technology, took six weeks. Now, the truth is, uh, frankly, um, we this is just one way of thinking, but the necessity for being agile and commensurate with the pace and transformation of technology is there. What the optimum solution is, by no means claiming that we've got the optimum, but at least we found a way to cut back by a factor of three or four the time scale and duration and arguments over shall and should and wording, uh, etc., which also has different meaning in different cultures. In one culture, they're sensitive on 
equity, the other one on equality, for example. So this is the way our solution that we need agile methods and using graphics and models rather than narratives and then translate that into umpteen language is probably one of those agile methods that uh, if it proves its virtue, hopefully will be more dominant than uh, spending three years to five years agreeing on a text. That's very good to take note of that and also share it with the rest of the audience that there are solutions which have the potential to catch up. Indeed. And a uh, little bit another topic, but I was quite interesting. You uh, mentioned, uh, you, you used a term in your book called AI ethics colonization. Uh, to some extent, I tied that into your earlier mark on an unlevel playing field. Mm -hmm. um, is that what uh, AI ethics colonization is about? And what do we have to be careful of? Uh, uh, exactly the points made earlier. If you look at the colonial history, uh, colonialism is shameless exploit exploitation of a community uh, for yep. their resources, even for their own physical strengths, uh, taking their property and taking away their dignity and their rights because they happen to be weaker than you or they happen to be less informed in a given context. And what's happening in the domain of data economy is not far from a, a modern form of colonization that enterprises uh, in a fairly opaque and non-transparent way uh, cultivate people's data. Data is there for the taking exactly the mindset of a colonialist. So there is a piece of land there, the people are incapable of defending themselves, but they are sitting on wells, sitting on gold and natural, et cetera. We can, so why not go and grab it? Who is there? Uh, whoever stands up to us, we fight and ultimately the winner takes it all. Mm -hmm. And that mindset dominates the behavior of, uh, if you like, at least the AI domain in terms of value of data, wherever from, you just take it without accountability, without owning up for it. And then you, uh, then these enterprises go and cultivate that and turn it into almost CFDs and sell it to others. Not just, there are many examples. I use only one as a streaming service that you bought a right to listen to music and they decided your way of listening and selections that you made in listening to music could reveal something about your mental state, whether you're vulnerable, whether you are depressed, whether you are overjoyed, etc. And that information could be of value to a boilerplate investment person who wants to find people in a vulnerable state to sell them something that uh, doesn't stand up to value scrutiny, so to speak. So this kind of mindset is behind that so-called rather strong word colonizing, but the mindset is the same. If you look historically at per process of colonization uh, and what's happening in the data economy, uh, there are huge parallels. Okay, now assuming that we don't want uh, the colonization to take place. Um, is a standard enough? Uh, how do we enforce these standards, these guidelines? What are your thoughts? Uh, 
Mm. Well, um, naturally, standards are not enough as much as we've already argued. Regulations are not enough. And yeah. my honest perspective is that, first of all, standards are, are voluntary instruments. Uh, unless they are mandated by a contract or by regulation, they are just good stuff agreed by a bunch of um, consensus-seeking technocrats or legal uh, experts, and that's it. So in order to do any good, these standards uh, need to do a couple of things. One is that to be, uh, be promoted so that people know there is something that could protect them. They could include it in their contracts, for example. And that's what exactly government procurement systems do. When they want to purchase from a global community, they look for international standards that cover that particular facet of that piece of technology. And they go and say, well, this is, uh, we only argue on the price, but in terms of behaviors, uh, conform to that standard and that's uh, a good enough basis for our acceptance. So standards are voluntary, not enough. Regulations are too old fashioned in the way they are uh, conceived and implemented by the time you train the police force and the legal system to understand this technology is very elusive. It's changing fundamentally, and it also doesn't have a home where you can attack and arrest someone. It can sit on um, unknown server in a territory that you have no jurisdiction in. Mm -hmm. So in principle, means of enforcement are also uh, on incommensurate with the nature of the challenge society is facing. I must admit, I have a lot of respect for the European approach and European Union's protection of the European citizens on matters related to data economy and AI. And I think these are exemplary uh, approaches, never sufficient, but uh, in the context of the vacuum that we have faced in the face of uh, colonialist attitude by the big corp tech technology corporations, is a very uh, good start. It's, well, good to hear that. Um, a couple of more questions, Ali, maybe uh, one personal one and one on your stake on uh, what's the biggest threat for accountability today, given the discussion we just had? Well, uh, we, we actually developed uh, characteristics of accountability for AI applications. And frankly, uh, the biggest threat for accountability to me, uh, and it's, it's incorporated in our uh, so-called ethical criteria for measurement of accountability in the context of AI application, was organizational recognition that matters of ethics are as significant as shareholder value. Now, if we do not make that kind of transition, if we do just suffice with so-called corporate social responsibility or ESG and just mm -hmm. uh, play with words, uh, accountability like charity starts at home. The organization in yeah. terms of its governance model, in terms of its capabilities, that it means what it says and it incorporates it, as well as promotes it not only uh, internally for its own structure and staff and ways of doing things, but also towards its stakeholders externally. Uh, interestingly, this 
so-called organizational governance dimension appears in all the suites of ethical criteria that we have developed on transparency, on algorithmic bias, on privacy and accountability, because it's so fundamental. Get it right at home and then practice it for others. That seems to be also the answer to the second question I wanted to ask you, and that's where would you put your effort? And that is at home. I, th I think so. It's definitely, um, it makes it more sustainable. If uh, it is just question of, uh, we are after a certificate for this car or this artifact or this medical device, but we are too busy, uh, leave us alone. We don't have time for this mumbo jumbo. We don't have time to appoint an ethics officer inside our organization with, I don't know, direct line to the chief executive to also stop a project and question the merits or the merits of a project, even in defense systems, frankly. Uh, then, uh, frankly, the rest of it would be almost what they call ethics washing. That is, there are no real genuine intent behind the moves and deeds, yet uh, there is a surface and a facade that trust us, we care for you. So in a sense, let's start the charity at home. Let's get organizations aligned with ethical values, like have an ethical policy uh, statement, put it in public, and then deliver everything internal, external, according to that accountable policy. If that policy is in the public domain, it is a very brave statement by any enterprise to say, these are the values we uphold, we respect all human rights, we respect the, I don't know, the minorities, we respect the uh, underprivileged in the society, and we won't contravene that. And if it did, come and challenge us. I think, honestly, if uh, we achieve that status, we have made a huge progression on matters of accountability and indeed becoming uh, ethical. I, I often finish by saying the transition that uh, society needs to make in 21st century uh, after Adam Smith uh, and Wealth of Nations yeah. is to try and move from shareholder value to societal value. If we make that transition, we end up being an enlightened uh, society or global community. Otherwise, it's all fluffy stuff and substance would be missing. Ali, those are great words to end this discussion with. Uh, so there is hope for the future. Indeed. How do we make that change? Thank you so uh, much for sharing your, your insights. Pleasure. Lovely to see you. Thank you.